Welcome to Calvary Temple Church Podcast. Thank you for listening today. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, please consider doing so. You'll find reference scripture and discussion questions for this sermon in the episode description. We hope this encourages you in your spiritual growth. You know, the joy, the depth, the contentment of our souls doesn't have to be dependent on the circumstances going on around us. There's a place to find real Real contentment in the depths of our soul. And I want to share about that today. But I just feel like before we jump in, I want to pray with people today. Because this is not just a philosophy. Jesus really, really can give us an amazing contentment of soul, a joy, a peace. So Father, we want to join together with those who are here those who are watching. Lord, we recognize, we see that that our world is in absolute turmoil. People's lives are are lived in fear, anxiety, uh, pain, heartache, on and on, Lord. And people don't know real deep peace and contentment. But Lord, it's found in you. We pray that today as we share together, you'll open up hearts to experience this life in you, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to share today about discovering soul contentment. We were in Philippians 4 last week. We're going to be back there again today. And I just really want to talk a lot out of, out of my heart today. Uh, and I want to ask, how many people truly, truly know contentment in their soul? Do we even know what that looks like or what that means to, to know this deep contentment? Last week we were looking at uh, peace for anxious hearts. And it's possible to live without anxiety in our hearts We looked at this last week for learning to rejoice in the Lord through prayer, through right thinking, through following the the godly examples that people live. But Paul goes even further with that about living beyond anxiety to where we can actually have deep, deep contentment in our soul in every and any situation in our life. Paul said he learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. And so when Paul writes his really dear friends here in Philippi, these Philippian believers, when Paul writes this, stop and think for a moment. He was in a Roman prison. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And the reason he was there wasn't because he was some kind of terrible criminal. It was because he had been sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. That's why Paul was imprisoned. And yet while he's there, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But he penned the most amazing, joy-filled letter that maybe has ever been written out of a heart that knew deep soul contentment, that was at rest, that was at peace, that was filled with joy. It's it's an amazing thing. Now stop and think about that for a moment. 
Have you experienced deep satisfaction uh, of contentment in your soul? Have you experienced in the depths of your inner being this kind of peace and contentment that we're talking about today? Where does true soul contentment come from? What's it even look like? You know, all of us have in our lives both an outward and an inward self. And too often, people in our world, wherever we go, we're more concerned about the outward we put on a smiling face. We, everything, we say everything's fine. You know, people ask how you're doing. We're, we're doing great, you know. Sometimes even in Christ, they said, oh, well, we're, just, we're just blessed. Everything's wonderful. Couldn't, couldn't be, you know, any, any better. But we put on this face. And, and in the world around us, people do this. Uh, and, and, and people also, maybe the, the way we try to satisfy or find some of this contentment is we buy things to make us feel good. But it only satisfies for a short while. There are people that fall into all kinds of behaviors and things, and many of those that are destructive behaviors trying to find some sense of soul contentment and peace inside. But it's only for a short while. We fall into the comparison trap uh, of putting on appearances, of having more things, or a newer and bigger home, or a fancy car, or a big pickup. We're trying to be the best. We're trying to be the smartest in our class. We, we want to be first, you know, in the class, on the job, wherever we, we're at. Yet inside, we feel unsatisfied. We feel discontented. We feel empty. We tend to fill our world with noise and activity to drown out that gnawing pain and emptiness that we, we experience inside. The goal for so many people is to be self-sufficient, to be self-satisfied. But, you know, it's only an outward appearance. It hides the emptiness inside. And not only do we disguise and hide that you know, our inner self from others. But too often, we even try to convince ourselves that we have it all under control. So how is it that Paul, in a Roman prison, not knowing if he's going to live or die, holds out this profoundly simple truth of where true contentment is really found in experience? Let's look at what he writes. Philippians 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Wow, what an amazing thing. What an am and we'll look at the setting about this in just a little bit, but John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping, he wrote about, he said, a soul must have a center. A soul without a center has all kinds of problems. And I would say, people, we need a divine center. A soul without a center has difficulty making a decision. 
A soul without a center feels constantly vulnerable to, to people or circumstances to put on, you know, what do people think? What do they say? What's going on? That determines if I'm happy or not. A soul without a center lacks patience. It's easily thrown off balance. A soul without a center finds its identity in externals. Where do we find our identity? And he said this, when my soul is not centered in God, I define myself by my accomplishments or my physical appearance or my title or my important friends. And when I lose those, I lose my identity. Think about that. Paul's contentment was rooted in Christ, not in circumstances. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. So I place it in the New Testament where you get that emphasis with joy. I have great joy, Paul says. Why? Because my life is in Jesus. Now what's interesting, Paul knew what it was to be abased. He knew what it was to go without. And I mean really go without. We get that. Remember the hardships that Paul talks about in various places that he went through? In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, he says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. He said, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. In another place, Paul talks about how he was beaten, how he was shipwrecked, how many times he almost died. He went through all this long list of sufferings. But back in 2 Corinthians 4, and verse 14, he says, But we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And notice what he says. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, we're going without, we're abased. Yet inwardly, he says, we're being renewed day by day. And then he says this, for our light and momentary troubles. Now, wait a minute. Paul, light and momentary, beaten all these times, thrown in jail, shipwrecked, people hunting you down, people don't like you, you don't know if you're going to live or die. You call that light and momentary? For our light and momentary troubles, Paul says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He says, when you put the stuff of this world compared to what we have in glory, it's nothing. Glory outweighs it all. That's an amazing thought. So Paul says, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, the circumstances, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. You know, when we think about Paul, we, many of us, if you studied Paul, we get the hardships he went through. But Paul says, I know what it is to abound. And we're going, wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> you know, I can't think of a time when you were abounding when you had plenty. Well, maybe Paul writing to these Philippians is recalling how much and how often these Philippians had stood with him as partners in the gospel. They had blessed him over and over 
taking care of his needs. And Paul maybe is just reflecting back and thinking about, wow, what a blessing. God has met me over and over with everything I've needed, and you've been a part of that. It's just neat. So Paul says in Philippians 14, he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can walk through this. I can do this. People, Christian joy is not a, this temporary kind of feeling which comes and goes based on our circumstances in life. Rather, it's rooted completely in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a deep spiritual quality of life that comes from abiding in Jesus. And people's circumstances, abiding or going without, are not what determines the quality of life in this present world. Only Jesus does. Abiding in Him. That's why Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It says that in Philippians 1.21. For Paul, everything was about Jesus. John the Apostle, in John 15, he wrote and he talked about the parable that Jesus gave. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And Jesus called us to abide in him, to remain in him. And people, that's where the real life is found and discovered. As day by day we go deeper in Jesus, we learn to abide in him, we spend time in him. That's where our rejoicing is found. That's where our peace is found. That's where our life is found. Spending time with Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's contentment was rooted in Christ, not circumstances. But Paul's contentment was also found in really knowing Christ. He didn't find contentment himself or his own accomplishments. In Philippians 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, he says it again, rejoice in the Lord. He's on a track here. And in verse 4, he says, or in verse 7, he says, Whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, he says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. Paul says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know, in Paul's day, they had these Greek Stoic philosophers. And they had this philosophy that their contentment was found in being self-sufficient that I don't need anyone else, I don't need uh, anyone or anything else. And Paul's saying, that's not it. You don't find sufficiency in yourself. Paul turns self-sufficiency into Christ-sufficiency. And that's where he found true contentment. The very heart of Paul's life is expressed in Philippians 1.21. To me to live is Christ. Now, Paul wrote here in Philippians 3, and he says, some people want to brag in all their accomplishments. Do you know that Paul had a resume that would be the envy of any Jew of his day? And he talked about 
where he was born, the family he was born into, the teaching, the training he had grown up under, how he had so, by according to the law, so blamelessly kept it. He says, and he was a persecutor of the church. He thought it was all wrong. He tried to destroy it. Paul says, do you want to look at and, and brag on who you are? He says, I had a resume that would probably match anyone in my day. But Paul says, I throw that out. That's not what really matters. He said, what really matters is knowing Jesus Christ. Paul's not criticizing having an education. He's not criticizing learning these things. What he's saying is, when you compare that with knowing Jesus, it's like throwing it on the garbage pile. Remember one of my professors in Bible college, Brother Davidson, he used to say, get your education, and then take your degree and throw it in the chest. Because what he's saying is, knowing Jesus is what really, really matters. It's not about who we are, all our accomplishments in life. And I've seen and experienced, even in, sadly, even among Christian circles, been in, I was in education, and, and people would, would begin to say, well, you got a doctorate in this? Well, I got a better doctorate because I got it from this place or I got this kind of doctorate. And so it's almost a made one to feel like the doctorate you got didn't matter. People bunk on all of that. What really matters is knowing Jesus. That's what matters. Wow. So Paul turned self-sufficiency into Christ-deficiency. Isn't, isn't that awesome? And, and that's where he found this true contentment. Jesus, as we said, not only called the disciples to come and follow him, but he called them to a deeper life of intimacy when he said, abide in me. That's what Paul is understanding. I think when in Philippians 3, when he says, whatever is gained to me, I consider for the loss of Christ. He said, everything's lost because I just want to know Jesus. He said, I've lost all these things. I consider them garbage so that, it may be, uh, so that I may gain Christ. And I love this. And be found in him. Wow. That's what Paul's saying. My contentment is in knowing Jesus. And that's why Paul, in that place where he was, could rejoice so much. Paul, it, it was an amazing thing. And when Paul writes this letter, he's writing, giving thanks. Because Epaphroditus, one of the believers there in Philippi, the Philippians took up another, another offering. And they sent it with Epaphroditus. And, and probably all the way he traveled, if Paul's there in that Roman cell, which where I believe he, he is, most scholars would hold that, Epaphroditus has traveled all that way from Philippi, carrying this offering to come to Paul to take care of him so he could have food to eat, so his needs could be met there in that place. And Paul writes back to him saying, thank you for how you've done this again. But Paul's con joy, his contentment, wasn't based on what people gave him. It was based in his friendship with them. That's the beautiful thing here. Paul loved these Philippians, not for what they did for him, but for who they were in his life. He loved them not for the gifts they gave him. These were his dear friends. Paul has all the way through Philippians, he calls them his partners in the gospel, meaning that they've labored together, they've stood with him, they've prayed with him, they've sacrificially given so Paul could take the gospel to others. They've stood with him ever since his second missionary journey. 
The Philippian church was the closest church to Paul. They were his dear friends. And so Paul goes on to share about how they themselves, he's saying you, you yourself have been an amazing example. You've been a support to me, an amazing example to other people. You are an amazing example, he's saying, a sacrificial giving. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when you came into the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Wow. You were the supporting church for me. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, Paul says. What I desire is that more be credited to your account, that the Lord will see your hearts, your giving, your sacrifice to him. Paul says, I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. Notice what he says, pleasing to God. What you gave, you gave to the Lord. I got blessed with it. And he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He says to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is thanking them for their support. Now, just a side note, there are people who tend to look at this letter and go, well, Paul was thankful. He'd have told him thank you right away. I mean, after all, when we write a thank, thank you letter to somebody, we greet them, and the first thing we say is, thank you for your gift. And it's the very last thing Paul writes in his letter. People, he's thankful for their partnership. And it probably leaves them with this note of how sacrificial they've given. It was a different culture. And so don't force our understanding on Paul. He's writing, talking about Jesus and all the life and the wonderful life we have in him and how these Philippians had stood together, and been his friends all along and helped him. He says, I just thank God for you. Thank God for you. I thank God for how you've been so faithful in my life. Paul's greatest joy is not the gifts they gave him. He's thankful for that. But his greatest joy is they themselves, their friendship, their partnership in the gospel. I have some friends in my life that I would say are so dear. I have friends that are closer than family have been to me through the years. Some of these I've known for 35, 40 years. I have one person that I've known since before I came to Christ, and we both came to Christ, and now her and her husband are, are some of the dearest friends. There are people, and it's not what we do for one another. There's something deeper in the way the hearts are shared together, the way we partner together in the gospel, the way we love the Lord uh, together and, and build one another up and encourage and, and, and just getting together. It's just, I thank God for those kind of deep friendships. That's what Paul found in these Philippians. He says, I'm thanking God for you. But I want us to see the kind of people that they were. Because not only did they bless Paul, they were an incredible, amazing example to others. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8, 
in 2 Corinthians 11, and I'll let you read these passages later. But Paul talks about the example they were, he says, over and over. He's encouraging these Corinthians. They were taking up a love offering to take back to the saints and the believers in, in Jerusalem. And Paul says, you had a heart to do this. Now, just like these Philippians, follow through with it. And he said, these Philippians, they have given many times beyond their very means to give. They didn't give out of an abundance. They gave sacrificially. They gave beyond what probably they could even afford to give. Why? Because they're doing it to the Lord. May we understand giving is not giving to, to one another in that sense. If we give to the church and we expect a reward back, that's a reward. People, or we want to control people, our giving is to the Lord to bless the ministries and going out. And they're just sharing with Paul. Say, we just want to bless. They're doing it to the Lord. They're doing it to the Lord. It was so sacrificial. They got this. People, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 8 and also 11, and he says, you know what they discovered? The grace of giving. Whoever thought that giving could be called a grace, but it's a grace when we enter in and giving to the Lord. So Paul is thanking these Philippians for the way that they gave. And people, there are those in our world who are giving so sacrificially. Jesus looked at the woman there at the temple, very poor. She only threw in a couple pennies, so to speak. And Jesus stopped and rejoiced. And he said, she's given more than the others because they gave out of her abundance, but she gave all she had to live on. Jesus sees not always just so much the amount that's given, but what's left over. He sees the heart of giving. And that's what Paul sees in these Philippians. He says, you're amazing. You've given to me in, in your prayers. You've given to me in laboring. You've given to me in helping in your support. And Paul says, I just want to thank God. And then he says a promise. He says, my God so will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And unfortunately, there are those who take that as a blanket promise saying, oh, well, whatever, God will just take care of me. You know, it doesn't matter. People, this is a promise for those who've learned to give faithfully to the Lord. When we trust him, God will take care of our needs. It's kind of neat that, that, uh, that earlier Lynn shared a testimony of testing the Lord to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you in my giving. And she saw the faithfulness of God. These Philippians experience that. So what can we learn today? We live in a world that desperately needs contentment of soul. There are people that were looking for contentment in circumstances. If everything's going the way I think it should, I'm quote unquote happy. If everything's not, I'm miserable. We're looking for, for contentment in, in world conditions around us. Paul said we're not going to find it there. Our contentment isn't found in the circumstances of life. It's found in Jesus. And I'll go so far as to say this. Even people who have abundance of material things and, and they have health and they have all these things going on, if you really talk to them, if they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, there's still a big gap and an emptiness of heart and soul. Contentment, peace is found in knowing Jesus. 
It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in our own accomplishments or the circumstances of life. It's found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not found in what others do for us. We experience that contentment in these relationships with others in Christ. People, it's not just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. And that's where we find the real contentment in life. If you're listening today, and I know there's a handful of us here, we want to be praying with you today and, and, and invite you to step into that place of knowing real contentment in Jesus. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you've asked Jesus to forgive you. But people, there's more. Contentment, this abiding relationship in Jesus, isn't just something we experience with a one-time prayer. It's day by day, spending time with Him, going into Him, spending time in His Word, spending time in His prayer, in prayer, listening to the Lord and allowing Him to touch our hearts and lives. Jesus has an amazing life for us. And regardless of what this life holds, he has a plan and a purpose, and we can find that life, that contentment only in him. I invite you today, I implore you today, give your life to Jesus. Trust him. Trust him with all of our life, all of our stuff. We're not taking any of this with us. Trust Jesus with our lives. Live for him. That's where contentment and joy is. Let me pray with you today. Heavenly Father, for those joining us today, whether by video or online, and for those joining us here, Lord, may we find our contentment in you. Lord, first of all, it starts with knowing you as our Lord and Savior. You call us to repent, to turn from our sin, to turn from finding contentment or life or, or happiness in ourselves or things to finding it in you. Lord Jesus, we've made a mess of our lives. Real joy and life is in you. So we ask you, Lord, forgive us today of our sins, all our sins. Cleanse us. Come into my heart and my life. Pray that today. Come into my heart and life, Lord Jesus. Make me a new person. Let me experience your joy, your contentment, your peace, your hope, your life. Lord Jesus, thank you. Because in that simple prayer, I believe that you're coming in. You're making me a new person. Maybe you're a believer today. Say, Lord, I just want to surrender it all to you. I don't want to hang on to certain areas of my life. All in with you. I'm all in. All that I am, Lord, all that I have is yours. I want to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen.